Hi, it's Mark Bittman, and welcome to Food. Let me be the last to wish you a Happy New Year. Let me also remind you that you can reach us at food at markbittman.com. We'd love to hear from you. Whatever it is you'd like to say to us, please also subscribe to this podcast and rate us wherever you get your podcasts, preferably highly. And subscribe to, to our newsletter, The Bitman Project, now thrice weekly and available at our spanking brand new fabulous website at markbitman.com, which you can also reach at bitmanproject.com. Do subscribe to that too, but check out the site. We're very proud of it. It's beautiful. It's got an ever-growing recipe database that we're adding to every single day with a bunch of cool features, including a great search engine and the ability to cook from a recipe without your screen going blank, putting it into a kind of cook mode and a bunch of other great features. It's worth looking at it right now too, because this week's newsletter has a gorgeous, interesting, wonderful photo essay about agroecology in Kenya, and on the other side of the spectrum, a piece about how to add crunch to brownies without nuts. Very interesting piece by our friend Holly Haynes. Okay, back in a sec. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm delighted to say that we've got another food podcast for you to add to your repertoire, and that's called Your Mama's Kitchen. It's hosted by journalist Michelle Norris, who you know for co-hosting NPR's All Things Considered for a decade, and who is my guest today. 
Michelle's work over the years has been flexible, crucial, and super interesting. In 1990, while at the Washington Post, she received the Livingston Award for articles she wrote about the life of a six-year-old boy who lived with a crack-addicted mother in a crack house. She was widely praised for her work at NPR during Hurricane Katrina. She attended Nelson Mandela's inauguration. She did tons of other great stuff. Your Mama's Kitchen stemmed from Michelle's past radio work. She was taken with how food tended to serve as an icebreaker for a good number of conversations, and that seeded the idea, she believes as I do too, that food is a through line for just about everything. I'm so happy to have Michelle as our guest today, and I'll be on an upcoming episode of Your Mama's Kitchen as well. Talking with Michelle, we talked for two hours, was a real joy. I won't pretend that we didn't just spend an hour doing your <laughs> podcast and that we're just saying hello since we've been talking for an hour already, but we've been talking about mostly me, and now we're going to talk about you. Um, many people know you from your decade or whatever it was at NPR's All Things Considered, where your work was varied. You were kind of all over the place and in Important, but I want to start by talking about your new podcast, which is called Your Mama's Kitchen. We just spent a long time talking about My Mama's Kitchen. But tell me a little about that concept, why that, and what inspired you to start that. Well, thanks for having me, Mark. Mm -hmm. I'm glad we can continue this conversation. feels like we have a lazy Susan between us, and we've just (laughs) switched it. Right. You know because you are a podcast host that when you start talking to someone, you have to get levels to make sure that your voices sort of land in the same range. And at NPR, um, the engineers are very particular about this, so you have to get someone to talk for a while so they can ride the levels. Because my voice tends to be deep and a little smoky, I had to get people to talk a little bit longer so they could get the levels right. And the standard questions that people would ask are, you know, what do you put in your coffee? What did you have for breakfast? And those questions— What did you have for breakfast? Yes, yes. That was a standard question. And no one ever says enough. You know, it's usually toast, oatmeal, coffee. <laughs> you know, you're waiting for the person that says, oh, honey, let me tell you what I had for breakfast. I had bacon and <laughs> eggs. I made French toast this morning. No one ever does that, you know. So no one ever talked long enough. So I had to come up with different questions. And so I would ask people about their first summer job. Or I'd ask when you— Go to the grocery store to use paper and plastic. That was my go-to question for a long time because that also revealed something about someone's personality. There were always the paper inside plastic people or if you had dog, you got plastic, but then plastic mm-hmm. went away and you couldn't ask that question anymore because everyone carried their own bags. So I asked, um, what did you do for fun on a Saturday night or tell me about your mama's kitchen? And the one thing I realized, those last two questions, the fun on a Saturday night and tell me about your mama's kitchen were great prompts, but tell me about your mama's kitchen in particular People would go back in time. They would close their eyes. They would start describing a physical space, and then they would start describing a state of mind, and they were rendered for a different kind of conversation. Mm. And I realized that people were talking about the things they learned at the kitchen table, which helped me have a different kind of conversation. During the middle of the economic crisis, 2007, 2008, I was talking to Lloyd Blankfein, and he talked about how he learned about how to grow money from his mom. His dad made the money, but his mom grew the money. Mm. And it just over and over and over that happened. Senator Bennett, that happened. And I realized this is a really interesting concept. And I just kind of held on to the idea. And then 
when I was able to partner with the good people at Higher Ground and then eventually at Audible, it just became a great way to serve this up as a podcast. To take advantage of the ability to turn the tables here, what was your mama's kitchen like? My mama's kitchen was really well organized and it was fun. Um, even when things got difficult, my mom and dad got divorced, so there were some difficult moments. But the kitchen was a place where people let down their hair. We always had music in the kitchen. My mom was a big radio person, um, early adopter to public radio. But when my sisters and I got a hold of that little black transistor, we would turn it down to the end of the dial. And we were listening to music, and we were dancing in the kitchen. She let—my my sisters are 10 and 12 years older than I am. And so even though the kitchen was really well organized, my dad was former military, so he brought that kind of organization to the kitchen also because my dad was mm-hmm. a cook in the military, and he did cook. Wow. Because he that's that's what he did. You know, if you were a man of color in the military, that's often what you did. In the Navy, you wore a C or an S on your shoulder. You were a cook or a steward, and he was a cook. Ah. And so he he held it down in the kitchen too. But my mom and dad let my sisters really have free reign in the kitchen. And I think it I think I now have come to understand it. Saturdays were a day where they got to cook whatever they wanted. And they would make sticky buns and my sister would make these gigantic chocolate drop cookies, which were basically like a mini cake that was masquerading <laughs> as a cookie. And they would let them do like wild things with chow mein and they would turn chow mein into confections with chocolate and gooiness and And then later in the evening, it was a time to do hair. I'm a black woman. So I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and our mamas were trying to tame our hair. So I think what she was doing was letting us have fun in the kitchen. So it would basically prepare us for the torture (laughs) that would come (laughs) later on when we were trying to, you know, my mom was trying to fry our hair down and make it lay down so we'd be ready for Sunday and it would be straight and flat until, you know, that would last for about a day. Mm. Uh, but but we were looking good on Sunday morning. I think I love cooking today because I, I watched her spend time in the kitchen and watched my dad spend time in the kitchen and realized that the kitchen is not just a place to deliver food. It is also a place to deliver good times. It's a place where people congregate. And yes, it needs to be organized, but it's okay if it gets a little raggedy or messy around the edges because that's kind of what humans are, and they let that happen too. When we were talking about my kitchen half an hour ago or whatever, you said you could imagine it, but you can't. And um, we were visiting friends last week, and everything was just so and in its place. And we were kind of like, how do they do this? How does this happen? Because our kitchen is constantly in need of straightening up, and that's because— it's in constant use and it's the it's absolutely the center of the house and it's not a fancy kitchen that has the living room built into it or any of that stuff it's really a normal working kitchen but you know i go there several times a day and i'm there from 5 till 7 or whatever almost every day 6 till 8 whatever it is and it's our and it gets used so it's just always like not a wreck. I mean, it's not a wreck because it's always in a constant state of being cleaned, but it's never 
finished. It's never right. kind of yeah. done. Yeah. There's always a, a junk drawer and there's a pile of something. And I mean, you have me now thinking about my mom's kitchen and there was a corner where there was just all this stuff that was going on. It was like a corner over and back of the the sink. And I guess it was your, you get eye blind. You don't realize, you know, all that stuff that's in that corner, but all the stuff you didn't know what to do would kind of right. go, you know, in, in that corner. But th- there was always a, there was also a, a period in my mom's life I've done a bunch of these interviews now where I'm talking to people about their mama's kitchens. And there's a Julia Child through line. Like you realize how many people she touched. And my mom was one of them. You know, Hmm. African-American woman in Minnesota, married to a very Southern man. So Julia Child was not sort of our, you know, wouldn't be the genre of cooking that, (laughs) that I grew up with. But she discovered her, you know, on, on public television and really TV. took to her, yeah, and really took to her. And then at one point, we did, it wasn't what you would call a kitchen renovation, but the the, the appliances were no longer turquoise, you know, because for a while the appliances and the cabinets and everything were, were kind of space-age turquoise, and then they became wood. And hmm. I remember my mom put two beams in the ceiling because it looked, it had a French country look. My parents were postal workers, and we, you know. <laughs> Back to the <laughs> and, land movement. And, but she was struck by Julia Child and her friend Simka. I still have the cookbook that my mom had, Simka's Kitchen. And she just liked this idea of this kind of country cooking. And so she put these beams in the ceiling, and they, they weren't actually beam. They were, um, they were styrofoam that looked like, uh. like wood. But I now think about that. I love that she did that. That's really something. Do you cook? Are you the cook? Do you share? What's the what's your deal? I am the primary cook, but I do share. My husband cooks and he cooks enthusiastically and he cooks well. And he cooks inside and outside. So he's a great on the grill, but he is also a very good cook inside. All of my kids cook. And that's great. Their partners cook. And we cook well together. And so we when we get together, we're often cooking together. And when they were young, that's one of the things that I wanted to give them. I was a working journalist that was on deadline every day. I was on the air every day from four to six. So, and I'd often have work to do when I got off the air, so I wouldn't get home until pretty late. And my husband worked in politics, and so he was home late. But we wanted to make sure that the kids ate a meal regularly. And even if they didn't eat at the same time as us, we were blessed with fantastic sitters, a village that helped us hold it down. What I would do is I would cook on Sunday for the whole week. I would I would mm. prep on Sunday. I wouldn't cook everything. But I would spend a couple of hours on Sunday prepping for the entire week. And I stole this idea from my sister. When you would go to her house, she would have on her on her refrigerator a printout of a menu. And you could look at the menu and she could tell you today what they would have for dinner on December 13th. It would, it would always be like 30 days ahead. And it was planned wow. such that if she was making, like she was going to do two chickens on Saturday and then that Thursday or that Wednesday or that Tuesday or whatever, they would have chicken and wild rice soup. I mean, it was just kind of organized so that everything was used. Did we say that your dad was a cook in the military? <laughs> yeah, so, no. and, and I didn't steal the entire monthly idea, but I thought I could do this week by week. And when I did it, I cut our grocery bill in half, and we didn't have a lot of food waste after that. And it was a way for me to also take control of the kitchen and control of what my kids ate. And 
the wonderful sitters that we had in our life, Miss Myrtle and then later Miss Mimi, I would just leave. Everything was in packages in the refrigerator, and I would I would make a chicken. I would make a pasta sauce. I would make a soup. I would cut up vegetables. I would do a marinade. I would do something. And so that it just required assembly. Because you you're, you don't understand this, Mark. I mean, that's part of what you did with How to Cook Everything Fast is help people understand that prep is the thing that slows you down. But if you actually yeah. prepared everything... And then it was easy. I would just keep, you know, cut up onions in the refrigerator. My husband would barbecue on the weekend. I'd say, can you throw some veggies on the grill there and I can use those later and just throw this in? I realized at one point that I was not the model for people to cook because I was home usually at four from whatever I was doing. Or, I, I don't know, after I was 30, I was almost home all the time. So I was a, sort of a stay-at-home dad and a, a home worker early on. You feel like cooking is important, clearly. I do. I think it's important for lots of reasons. I, I don't take for granted that I have access to food. I My dad's family was from Alabama and from a part of Alabama where people had to work really hard. And I am ever grateful that I'm able to feed my kids and feed my family. And so part of it is is, you know, the gratitude that we express through food, that's that's a big part of it for me. Part of it is also because I think food is how we can find each other. And in a family, it's how a family unit, I believe that food is glue for a family, that if you, it's how you say I love you, but it's also how you can work out a lot of stuff. Our family dinner table can get a little loud sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's where we have really big, raucous debates. It's where our kids hopefully have learned how to question authority without getting sent to their room, because that's an important quality in life also. It's where they can try on things. I, I realize that, particularly in their teenage years, that kids need an audience. And if they don't get it from you, they're going to look for it someplace else. And the table mm-hmm. is where I could give them an audience. I could let them, whether they were the tada kid or whether they were the quiet kid or whether they were trying to work something out, and I could also watch them and watch their body language and say, put down the phone and, you know, let's talk about this. So I think food is important in that sense. But it also is also how we build community. And and so food as biography, you know, as a portal to understanding someone is is just a very interesting way to approach someone's life. And these conversations, they start by exploring your mama's kitchen, but we talk about immigration. We talk about what it means to be American and how people come from other places and are trying to figure that out. We talk about what feminism did to a generation of women who felt the earth shift under their feet. We talk about how all these things that people learn in their kitchens shape who they become. You learn about generosity often first in the kitchen. What do you like to cook? Almost anything. Um, I'm, I'm, I experiment no, more now because I have more time. COVID was interesting for lots of reasons, but I think yeah, a lot COVID of us, a lot of us um, had time suddenly. So, and for me, it was a way that I could travel with my family. I could give them, you know, we, we had moved just to move into a house that we had called our empty nester house, and then everybody came home because mm. that's what happened. How convenient! <laughs> and, and while we were all in the house together in our hovels in various parts of the house, you know, we were fortunate enough to be in a house where we were you know, had space that we could retreat. At the end of the day, everyone would emerge around 5 o'clock 
um, and they would head toward the kitchen because that's where we always gather. And we would have a meal together. And over time, I realized I could, we could travel through food. So experimented with Indian food, with various kinds of Asian food, with a little bit of Middle Eastern food. And so I became more of an experimental cook. Stay tuned for more from me and Michelle Norris. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. We're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water, less than three cents a bottle. 
Plus, you won't be buying bottled water, and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U dot com, and enter code Bittman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code Bitman. B-I-T-T-M-A-N. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that. Available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Let's talk about the podcast. It's interesting. We have a lot of crossover. You've had Matthew Broderick. You've had Michael Pollan, Al Roker. We had a lot of fun with Al. You've had Michelle Obama. Obviously, some of these are big draws, but I'm curious about what kind of guests you're looking for, how you're choosing them, who who's ideal for you. Going to run out of Michelle Obama's, I promise you. Well, well, not everybody, you know, and and that's she is in a class all by herself. But it was interesting when we talked to her. You know, she's written two books and had several books written about her, and she's been on tour and traveled to more than 50 cities. And yet she talked about things she'd never talked about, you know, despite having lived a life that has been thoroughly examined because it's a, you know, it's a different kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. We're trying to curate guests that are, interesting and allow us to see different kinds of lives, lots of different kinds of lives. I mean, Mark, I also do a lot of work with race and identity. I have this other project called the Race Guard Project where I'm, you know, exploring American identity. And in everything I do, whether it's that work or this work, I am trying very hard to allow lots of different people to see and hear themselves in the content that I create because not enough people see and hear themselves in the media diet that is generally served to them. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who are, you know, just left out of the the narrative. And I want to make sure that lots of different people hear and see themselves. But at the same time, I want to introduce people to different worlds and different realms and different ways of being. So even though you have never, you don't listen to Wilco or Jeff Tweedy, but you listen to that conversation and you recognize something that resonates in your own life. So I'm trying to, you know, move along both tracks. So we're looking for people that will create sort of a big, wide diaspora. We're also looking for people who are great storytellers. 
We're looking for people who have an interesting backstory. But I say all that understanding that I could probably have an interesting conversation with the person I'm sitting next to on the Amtrak train. Mm. And I could turn to them and say, tell me about your mama's kitchen. And they would probably have interesting things to say. So the, the concept and the question is so potent that it works almost with everyone. But we're also trying to find a, a collection of guests that will provide a good variety, you know, for people. And at the end of it, we serve up a delicious recipe. And I've road tested almost all the recipes. I'll be making your grandmama's potato nick uh, <laughs> th- this weekend. And I'm trying to decide if I should do it in a nonstick skillet or do it old school in a, in a beautifully rendered cast iron skillet. I haven't decided, you know, what my level of confidence or technique <laughs> is. You've been a journalist almost your whole life. You've written for Obviously, the NPR gig everybody knows about, but you've written for the Washington Post for a few years. You've written for almost every major newspaper in the country. In your journalism career, what are some standout moments? What are some things you remember in particular? That's a great question. Um, Well, you remember certain elections. You know, the election of Barack Obama. I will, you know, never forget that. But I also remember it being unusual because I'm watching people— respond to the seismic moment and I'm in studio with Robert Siegel and then I leave, I get off the air that night and hightail it to an NBC studio and remembering being so alone in that moment. My husband's in Chicago, he's in Grant Park. You know, other people are sort of out in the world and sometimes as a journalist you're kind of singular. So that was kind of an unusual experience. I remember being at Nelson Mandela's inauguration and, uh, and just the extreme grace that was demonstrated there, that the, the the person who was responsible for guarding his particular cell at Robben Island was seated in the front row. And, you know, and he wanted him there. And it was a day of pomp and circumstance. And um, I, I remember that day, and I, I remember what I was wearing. I remember I was on a podium with... Uh, this was a global event, so there were people from all over the world on this great big podium, and they kept having to come and, and buttress it because there were so many of us on that, and they were afraid that it wow. was you know, that it might collapse. So that was kind of right. interesting. And I remember um, my producer whispering in my ear at some point, "Stop dancing," because they were playing this really great music, and <laughs> and I was about to this live shot, and they were playing this like this great music with a South African rhythm, and everyone was doing the toy toy, and it was really hard not to, you know, get in the middle of that. And he whispered, "You're about to be on the air. Stop <laughs> dancing." <laughs> so dancing is kind of a, a through line in in my life. I um, but I also remember, you know, I remember big stories. I remember Hurricane Katrina. You know, I remember being there sent my kids off to school and collected. um, We were filling backpacks for kids who had been displaced. And then I had to pack up, and I didn't know how long I was going to be gone and left. And I will never forget that. I will never forget the things that I saw covering uh, Katrina. That still stays inside me. My oldest son married a wonderful woman from New Orleans, and so we go back to the city, and we're tethered to the city. And every time I go back, I cannot, I cannot get out of my head the things that I saw in the Ninth Ward, in particular. I, I feel very fortunate, you know. I, I also remember small stories. 
you know, something that will resonate with you is one of the early stories that I did where I had an editor who said, I, th- I think I think you need to stick with this kid. I was in San Diego working for the L.A. Times right out of school, and I wanted to do a story about a neighborhood that had no grocery stores. And he said, if you can make it work, go ahead. And I wound up doing a story about an area that had literally no grocery stores. It was before we were talking about food deserts and why it cost so much to buy a single rotten pink hard tomato, which was the only thing that they had in this little market. And I, you know, they didn't think that I could do it. And I figured out why the grocery stores didn't want to go to that part of the uh, that part of the world. And the reasons didn't make sense to me. But it's not just the, the you know, the, the smaller stories that you cover and the people that you meet. And, you know, I, because I'm talking to you, I'm thinking about stories that, that, you know, have to do with food. I remember going and visiting an Oak, a, a farmer and in Oklahoma, who had figured out how to farm via computer. And that was great because it increased his yield exponentially. But he was also understanding the land and the climate, and he was starting to see the early signs of something that would change the way he farmed, and that was climate change, how the soil Mm -hmm. was warming. He he, he could understand things. And I remember spending um, the day with them, and and I remember that they, they insisted that we stay and have supper with them. And supper is something you eat at like 2 o'clock, you know, which was huh. the big meal on a farm. And uh, and I still remember, you know, a lot of piles of meat and a fantastic strawberry shortcake, mm. you know, that we had in uh, in Oklahoma. So I've, I've had th- more than three decades in journalism, and I feel really lucky because if you are a journalist, working in journalism as the industry has changed has felt a little bit like being a part of a mighty tree that has been shedding leaves, you know, as as stations close, as newspapers winnow, as local news has just kind of dried up. A lot of us have been shaken off that tree. Yeah. And I feel really fortunate that I can still um, practice the craft of journalism because it's been increasingly hard to do and to to be able to say that I've had the honor and the pleasure of doing it for more than three decades is something that I don't take for granted. I don't take that for granted either. It's funny, this sort of democratization of publishing. I mean, anyone can do it. Anyone can broadcast themselves. But to actually be a professional, to be a person who makes a living at it and to do it in a way that you're covering an actual beat or covering a series of stories is, yeah, harder and harder to find your way that in that world. There's just less opportunity. And for big stories also, I mean, I I have been fortunate that I've been able to travel overseas and I've, you know, traveled with presidents and I've been to, you know, Russia and I've been to Asia and I've been other places. That's hard to do if you're not part of an institution. Yeah, the expense account is a real yes. thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just can't go and cover a war. You know, you can't go and explore another world. You, It, it just... It's hard to do that on your own dime, and it's hard to get the access that an institutional, a legacy journalism operation can can provide for you. So when we see the winnowing of journalism, we're also closing a window for people to really not just understand local news, but really understand the world in a more fulsome way because it's these big news organizations that really have the muscle and the power to send people out in the world and bring those stories back to us. Well, last question. We ask everybody this one. What did you have for dinner last night? 
Uh, because I've listened to your podcast, I was very aware of what I was going to make for dinner last night. Damn! <laughs> but <laughs> it's like but, cheating. <laughs> no, but <laughs> but I was on deadline yesterday. And I had a bunch of stuff going on, and my husband is right now trying to eat before 8 o'clock, which is something I'm trying to honor, and it's actually good for both of us because, you know, that sort of intermittent fasting thing. So I was planning to make a spatchcock chicken, and I had it all laid out, and I had the spices laid out, and I knew what I was going to do with it, but instead I couldn't make that work. So I had some soup that we've been experimenting with keto or paleo-friendly soup. So I love soup as it gets cold. It's 20 degrees right now. The day I'm talking to you was 20 degrees yesterday also. So it was the soup day. So I had the soup that was going to be for later that I wound up doing, and it was a chicken soup that was very hearty but made without noodles. So it had a lot more vegetables um, but not a traditional noodle soup. Mm -hmm. And what I do with it is... I like the idea of soup bistou, but I've never been able to kind of figure out how to do that as a French do. But I just take pesto and put a big dollop of it in the middle of the soup. So it kind of gives it a deeper, deeper, heavier I mean, flavor. That is soup bistou, and then I, I think. But it <laughs> is kind of, I guess, okay, if that's it. I didn't know. I, I, I don't know if it's actual pesto. I don't know what they did, but I just put that in the middle. And then I had some really beautiful herbs and some really beautiful Italian parsley and some other herbs, and I chopped that up. And put that all around the edge outside. And I put that all around the edge outside. And then I squoze some lemon in that and did that with a really nice um, hearty salad and some crusty bread. And that was dinner on a 20-degree evening in Washington, D.C. And we'll do Sounds the great. spatchcock tonight. Wow. Yeah. I feel like I made a friend. That was a long conversation. <laughs> Well, I, I would like to have dinner with you one day. I hope we're able to do that. I, I, I've learned so much from you, and I appreciate the work that you put in to your books because it's evident, and I appreciate the little notes that you leave inside some of the recipes. You're very forgiving, like be easy on yourself. Because <laughs> I'm not that good at cook, but yeah. And I, But I appreciate that. You know, it, it's it's kind of an girl when, you know, at a moment um, when I need it. And how to cook everything vegetarian has been a lifesaver for me when I've realized that I'm having dinner for 12 and there are two people who are vegetarian and I didn't really count on that. So what do I do and how do I do this? And So thank you. Well, I'm a fan of yours too, but this has been a special treat because who gets to talk to someone so great for such a long time on a weekday? <laughs> I've loved talking so, to you. Thank you so here. much. Bye. We will be sharing Michelle Norris's mom's zucchini bread recipe, one of Michelle's favorites, on our new website, bitmanproject.com or markbitman.com. You'll also find the link to that recipe in this week's show notes. Thanks, of course, to Michelle Norris for joining me today. Listen to Your Mama's Kitchen wherever you get your podcasts and pick up Michelle's new book, Our Hidden Conversations, What Americans Really Think About Race and Identity, which came out yesterday. Follow Michelle on social media at Michelle, that's with one L underscore Norris, M-I-C-H-E-L-E underscore N-O-R-R-I-S on both Instagram and Twitter. 
Thanks for joining us. Thanks, as always, to our engineer, Davis Lloyd, and to our producer and usual co-host, Kate Bittman. Thank you for listening. Again, please subscribe and tune in next week when we will have someone amazing. Bye for now. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.